0: Ready, set, and again. So Loquacious,
1: an Out in Perth podcast.
2: Welcome to Solo Quacious, the podcast from out in Perth where we talk about all things about culture, news, politics and everything going on in the world from an LGBTIQ perspective. My name is Graham Watson and I'm joined each episode by my colleague Lee Hill. Hello. And a special guest. This episode we're going to be uh, talking to Nick Hollis who's uh, in town in Perth and finding out about a whole bunch of things going on in the world, about HIV, about fringe world and about... Everything else is going to come up in our conversation. we we'll talk a little bit about queer media as well.
1: A little bit of everything. A little trifle today.
2: Nick Hollis has become a very powerful and uh, loud voice in the discussion about HIV and the rights of HIV people, talking about stigma and discrimination that goes on. He writes regularly for many different publications and even spent a little bit of time last year as a guest editor for website Same Same. So he's had a little bit of experience in our life. Thanks for coming to talk to us, Nick. Oh, thank you very much for having me. A loud, powerful voice. I like that. (laughs) I like that. I'm doing my vocal exercises as (laughs) we speak. <laughs> you know, we, we've known each other for a couple of years, and I've been reading your writing for even longer than that. And there was a point just late last year when I was in the office, when I looked at your name, Nick Hollis, and realised oh it's it's a pseudonym. It's it's a non-diploma. Mm.
1: His mind was blown. Yeah. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> people are
2: people either get it right
0: away and then realise that it's just Nicholas split in two, or they uh, think that that is my actual name and that I have some sort of ex Latin American um, uh, parentage or heritage or something like that. And, and the, Which thought, if
2: anyone hearing me now, obviously, they know I do not. <laughs> and I thought, there must be people out there who look at that and get it much, much sooner than I do and think, what cruel parents to name your kid? <laughs> my own dad
0: didn't even get that it was a nom de plume. <laughs> it took him a year or two and he went, oh my God, I get it. And I went, Dad... That's Nicholas. That's the name. It's literally the name you gave me. <laughs> Is Nicholas only something you get called when you're in trouble by your parents? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and with the amount of talking I do in the public about all the various things around the HIV and the sex work and all that sort of stuff, I've been called Nicholas once or twice <laughs> in the last couple of years by my parents.
2: Lee has the most hilarious thing about his name that uh, I, I questioned, you know, that it really happened until I saw it last oh, week. Oh, that's
1: right. So my name's spelled L-E-I-G-H. Uh, people think it's pronounced leg mm. or lay as in "sleigh." Lay I can excuse because "sleigh" in English is stupid, but leg?
2: Wow. No. So we were lining up to go to a Fringe World event because uh, the Fringe Festival's on in Perth at the moment. There are hundreds and hundreds of cabaret juggling, backflipping comedian shows on at the moment. And we, we were lining up to go to this event where our names were on the door and uh, the girl on the door questioned if you knew how to pronounce your own name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, I, I think it's you know, it's it's symbolic of the fact
0: that there is so much creativity around names these days. There's there's that's my, true. my sister's a um an obs and gyno doctor, she delivers babies, you know, for a living. And um she was telling me recently that she's seen more than one instance of an absody, which is spelt A, B, C, D, E.
1: No.
2: Oh, that's just horrible. Yeah.
1: So no. I mean, I
0: love I love a bit of creativity. I mean I do think I do think naming your child after the first five letters in
2: the alphabet. <laughs> might be a crime. I'm not sure. <laughs> I always wished I had a last name that was a little bit further up the alphabet because you often have to wait a long time when your, your name begins with a W. Uh, you
1: know? Sometimes that's that works in your favour.
2: <laughs> you know, not often. Normally things start a day and work their way through, you know. the uh, I used to have a job where I worked overseas and I, I worked in Asia and um, I worked in the hospitality industry. I worked on a cruise ship. And one of the um, things there is all the staff had to have an English name because I guess people, you know, on holiday, on a cruise, don't want to go to the the extra trouble of learning how to pronounce a Chinese name or a a name they're not familiar with. So all crew had to be given an an English name, which was a policy that I just personally hated. But it was also part of my job to make sure that all the new staff coming on board got a name. Oh, my God. So you had to do that. That was your job. Well, the way I approached it was I thought, you know, if you want to have some ownership of your identity, I used to give new staff a list of names and say, so, you know, pick one that you like, you know um, that way they kind of they had a bit of ownership of it and the challenge is you know, that we were training hundreds and hundreds of staff for this very large company that has, you know ships all around the world and Within just a few months, in, in this being part of my job, you run out of all the names you would use for you know your future children, people you went to school with, the names of people you like, and it gets really hard to keep thinking up more and more names because you don't want like you know nine staff with the same name. It's just confusing. Um, and eventually, the thing I always remember is because you just turn to like you know things you read as a kid or people you went to school with, and I had this guy come to me said, you know, I I like my name, but I'm just wondering what it means, and I just say. Well, Marvin, you're a paranoid android. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> At least yeah. you're not
0: going back through like your favourite porn or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> might have happened. <laughs> 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 oh, why, why
2: is why is that um, kitchen hand called Rod Steele? Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not important. My name's Brent Corrigan <laughs> 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 Tell me how did how did you get into this space of being an advocate and being a voice for people who are HIV positive?
0: Oh gosh, oh, let's go back back in time. Um, now, almost five years ago. I guess it's twofold really. I in the lead up to me being diagnosed HIV positive, which happened in late 2012, I found myself being very politically aware and active and really passionate about stuff, but there was there was nothing I could really kind of, you know, no no hook to hang my hat on so to speak. Um, you know, at that time there was a lot of noise around marriage equality that was around the time that um the Gellard government was kind of doing their um backflip, shall mm. we put it politely. <laughs> And I found myself kind of going, oh, that's not that's that's not my thing. That's not my bag. I want to support queers who are for that, but it's not really kind of where my heart is. And then, you know, uh, I was diagnosed, and I was at a workshop in Sydney. Um, ACON is the AIDS Council of New South Wales. runs a uh, weekend workshop for newly diagnosed men called Genesis. At that workshop. I realised that I was pretty okay with my diagnosis. I, I it hadn't really impacted my life. I was about three weeks in. I already managed to disclose to most of my family and friends, um, but you know, I would have to say that probably about eighty percent of the other guys at that workshop weren't coping. Uh, they uh, some of them hadn't um, had sex for two years. It had taken some of them had taken two years to get to this. Even get to the door, get to of going. It's workshop. Yeah. Workshop, you know. And there are, some of us were three weeks in. Um, you know, they had sex. They hadn't told their families. They were really scared. Uh, and I realised that the apparent ease, the comparative ease um, that I was experiencing with my HIV diagnosis, was not. It uh, was a privilege, and it was really a responsibility to kind of do something about that. To try and help other positive people to feel as okay with it as I was. Compared
2: to other people, three weeks is a pretty short time did you ever have any thoughts that you might not tell people no i'm a pretty open book
0: <laughs> <laughs> i put a lot of stuff out there into the world uh so no no not at all um but uh you can understand why um people do feel that way mm. um and look and we've certainly seen leaps and bounds these days in tim which is the mm. the um, hiv movement i co-founded um we have people joining Tim the week they get diagnosed. You know, a few years ago we would say, "Oh, maybe just take a little bit of time. You know, go sit in it for a bit, talk to your doctor, blah 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 blah." And now they're like, "No, no, no. I've kind of, I feel okay, but I'm confident. I've read up about it. I just want to, you know, be part of the community now."
2: It, it's there. true. There's such a um, range of. I guess, options that people have, but also the way people respond to it. Mm. We, we held a forum in our office a few months ago where we invited a, a, just a mix of people from the community, some who were HIV positive and some who weren't, um, just to talk, just have a discussion and things that came out. And it was really interesting just the, the beliefs people still hold and the mm. stigma that comes up. There was such a range of things that came up in that conversation.
1: Yeah well, I mean, we discussed this with um, Matthew Bacon, going to the dentist and mm. disclosing their status and then being treated like a total pariah, just little mm. things you'd And also never the assumption
2: expect. of how people have become HIV positive.
1: Yeah, a lot of the people in that room didn't identify as LGBTIQ at all.
2: Mm.
0: And a lot of people they were HIV positive, but they didn't yeah. identify. Yeah mm. that, I mean this is why Western Australia is in a really interesting position. Mm-hmm. Unlike the rest of the country, the epidemic is growing. In non-LGBT yeah. areas, non- in those communities,
1: that's unique to WA, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: I think um, you folks here in WA, uh, heterosexual transmission eclipsed homosexual uh, LGBT transmission. It's not really LGBT; it's really gay and mm. bisexual yeah. men um, and trans people. Eclipse that for the first—that's—that's—that's that's, that's never happened in the thirty odd years of HIV history in Australia mm. anywhere, uh,
2: apart from WA a couple of years ago. There's been a lot of speculation on why WA is different, why we're seeing you know, different sort of populations. I think like to be different. You <laughs> a difference here. You, 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 it's a part of your identity, and I support that. <laughs> We're all about the difference. <laughs> it has been attributed largely to uh, an increased um, amount of uh, fly-in, fly-out workers, and, and uh, that FIFO lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, and also our proximity to Southeast Asia has been suggested possibly as one of the reasons. One of the things we haven't had here in WA, which, you know, living on the East Coast, you've had um, exposure to is, is PrEP, mm. And, you know, around different states, uh, all the large states in Australia now have had PrEP trials. For states where they have had access to people being able to get on PrEP treatment, and what's what's been the benefits of that? What what happens? It's really, I've got to say, it's it's really transformed um, the
0: MSM, Men Have Sex With Men, which is the kind of proper sector shorthand. What we're talking about, there is gay and bisexual men. It's transformed the community and it has done... Incredible work at closing the gap, um, uh, bridging the zero divide we call it between pos and neg men, and that's happened simultaneously with the positive community being more accepting of what undetectable viral load means and treatment as prevention, and that the the negative men they have sex with also understanding what that means. So we're seeing a lot more neg guys be okay, being okay with jumping into bed in you know for a one night stand or a relationship with a positive person, and that's happened simultaneously with I guess, acceptance uh, of the science behind PrEP and uh, Guy's willingness to get on it. Um, so it can't. the benefit of it can't be underestimated.
1: Something else alarming that came up at the uh, forum we held, though, two of the people there, most people were anonymous, but two of them were from NAPWA, and they were talking about um, undetectable viral loads, but there was one person who vehemently disputed that undetectable meant untransmissible, and he said he wasn't alone in that belief. Is that something that you encounter a lot?
0: No. Um, Oh, sorry. Uh, There is still a lot of fear uh, around um, accepting the science of um, undetectability, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I approach that fear. When I see that fear, I approach it with as much empathy as possible, and I think it's really important that uh, we remember, even though the science is moving in leaps and bounds... Um, and things feel like they're progressing, uh, there is still a lot of people who experienced um, an unimaginable un- unimaginable time of fear mm-hmm. and trauma and loss uh, and that we can't just expect uh, those people to just suddenly read a, an article or, or see some science and just immediately accept it when they've grown up yeah. or they've gone through that time. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I think we really just need to make sure we've got that space for them. We understand why that belief is there. Um, uh, you can believe a thing that is untrue, <laughs> yeah. And
2: uh, well, the science is, the science is set. One of the great things about Australia is we were so on top of those HIV campaigns in the 80s and the 90s, and and more than other countries were at the forefront of getting that message out. I'm, you know, grew up in high school in the 80s. Um, that HIV message came through very strong, not just through education, but also through culturally, through musicians putting concerts on, through, you know, this. But also there's a negative side to that very powerful message getting through is that it was ingrained really, really strongly that, you know, you must use a condom. Uh, There is no other options. You know, now that, you know, science has moved on and we have a better understanding and we have better treatments, trying to get that, you know, very well-ingrained message taken out, it's a, it's a big thing to unlearn.
0: Totally, absolutely and, um, and, and these things are not um, mutually exclusive, you know what I mean? Just, just because now we know the science of undetectable viral load and we know the science of PrEP um, we still know the science of condoms. They still work, they're still fantastic uh, and it, I would hope that it's kind of viewed with a sense of excitement and optimism that now there are more options for, for all of us um, what we might find though is that people who were kind of monotheistic when it comes to condom use are now going to find themselves not in the minority but they're going to kind of uh, they're going to find less options available if they uh, only want to use condoms then the then the amount of people that might want to sleep with them and also only use condoms might reduce mm. uh, I tend to find that when um when the, the bulk of, of the screwable population t- moves <laughs> away from you, you tend to move with the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> gay men can be relied on very easy to <laughs> always do that.
2: Do you think as gay men, this is something we often ask on this this podcast, and I'm interested in, in your take on it, do we talk about sex enough? Ah. <laughs> uh, gosh, that's a
0: great question because uh, yes, absolutely, but then... Uh, we, we don't talk about um, maybe we don't talk about real sex enough. We certainly talk about sex in the form of, you know... Um,
2: I the, had a great time on the weekend. I had a great time he was about,
0: hot. Yeah, he was hot. Or, or, or how hot gay bodies are and blah, 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 blah. But the, um you know, uh, pardon the pun, but the ins and outs. Um, and the uh, psychological realities of the fact that our community is so deeply attached to our sex lives i think we don't talk about that enough Um, and we certainly don't talk about rejection enough in the gay community
1: i do (laughs) (laughs) every monday morning
0: (laughs) that's really great this conversation is happening here in wa and specifically in perth um it's all well and good for us to kind of look at trends in sydney and melbourne with hiv rates uh and prep uptake and all that sort of stuff but this is this is actually a nationwide conversation Mm. and that's one thing i'm proudest of in tim is that we're a national organization and so perth members can see the kind of conversations that sydney and melbourne people are having and go why isn't it like that here and they can start making noise, and I think that's the only way things change. And I think the example of your, your uh, gentleman who um, uh, disputed the science of undetectability, um, the only way you can counteract that is to have you know HIV positive people who are on treatment or not. You know, it's and we don't want to create a, a new class of undetectables. Um, But they have to speak up and they have to speak up locally. That's the only way change is going to happen.
1: Could you just outline what Tim is for our listeners who might not know? Of
0: course. Sorry. Assuming that this podcast will be introduced with a wonderful intro giving my bio. (laughs) No, you you heard (laughs) it at the start. That was it. (laughs) Uh, So Tim stands for the Institute of Many. Uh, It is a grassroots movement for people living with HIV. Uh, we, have, we were formed in 2012 and we exist online uh, in the form of uh, two private Facebook groups, one for any person who lives with HIV and a specific group for women identif- who identify as women living with HIV. Uh, we also have meet-up chapters um, in cities all around the country, including Perth, uh, who, and we just, uh, I guess, create uh, a network. Um, and our aim is to help HIV-positive
2: people feel better about themselves. What are the big issues that you deal with with you know in the HIV sphere what's what's the ones that we need to be talking more about?
0: Uh, I think that the the big issue facing us at the moment um has nothing to do with prep. It has nothing to do with how gay men feel about their sex lives. it has everything to do with a growing epidemic that we're seeing in uh, Aboriginal communities, Torres island communities. um it's to do with HIV criminalisation. Uh, it's to do with um, uh, intersectional issues of, of, of race and migrant populations. Um, I, I think that uh, where we're at now, uh, the HIV uh, community is shifting and the HIV sector that deals with that needs to shift as well. And we're seeing in other states when it hasn't moved with the times, um, you know, they've, the sector, the organisations have
2: shut down. Here in Western Australia, the criminalisation of HIV... Is, has been an issue in the news over the last six months mm-hmm. we certainly have one case before the courts at the moment um, in this area but the other one which has come up is that they introduced spitting laws mm-hmm. in WA which is if someone is saying to spit at a police officer they can be forced to have a HIV test even though and obviously spitting at a police officer is, is you know pretty detestable. No, it's not nice. It's not a polite thing to do, but, you know. But the fact is that they're it's polite scientifically <laughs> impossible <laughs> yes. for someone to become HIV positive through someone spitting, spitting at them. At them. Yeah. It just can't happen. But we still bring in a law with heavy, heavy penalties for that. And and we asked, the, you know, our police minister, Lisa Harvey, who's the deputy premier here in Western Australia, about, you know, why we have this law. And, and she told us that they just want to be backing the police officers, mm. but the fact there's no science in this at all, mm. like logic has left the room and walked outside, I find that troubling.
0: It's really troubling. Uh, it's, it's terrifying um, because it, it, it affords police certain powers and creates, it's basically it's, it's legislation based on fear and stigma and completely outdated fear for, for someone to then, you know, to be forcibly tested for HIV because they have spat on a police officer. And then what that creates, it creates in police too a, a, a completely unnecessary waiting period of fear as opposed to being able to educate them and to be a better community liaisons, which is what we need
2: of our police officers. Also especially. puts into the the wider community the a, a falsehood. Mm. It, it promotes a falsehood that it just has... An alternative fact, I believe, than I <laughs> uh,
0: and it does. And, and again, coming back to, to that intersectional issue I was talking about before, you know, the majority of white gay men who were previously we, we assume be the most affected by HIV are going to be relatively unaffected by the spitting laws. Those laws are created to target Aboriginal people specifically in WA. And if we could find a way to make all of our fellow LGBTIQA people stand up and kind of go, what's happening to them should not happen, even though it's not happening to us, mm. um, You know, we are, we are tied by that bond of being oppressed.
2: It's hard to create uh, empathy for people who are not just like you.
0: Man, if I could figure out a way to, to shove empathy in air conditioning and just make everyone <laughs> breathe it
2: in, I would. I
0: definitely would.
2: You're in town at the moment because you're here for Fringe World. How's, Lee, how's your Fringe World experience been so far?
1: It's been great because I get to pick all the best shows this year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've been a little too generous with my stars, though. Or maybe I've just been seeing the good stuff.
2: It's a tough one when you have to go see a show and actually give it a, a, a rating those star ratings I tell you what they are just
0: maddening for, as, as, <laughs> as, a, as a producer on the other side as someone who doesn't review shows but as someone who makes shows yeah. the star system is just it's great I mean it's really great I'm really fortunate the show that I'm uh, uh, part of Utu Bakuya has had more five stars than I've had hot dinners so that's wonderful <laughs> How many me. stars did we give you? You only gave me three and a half stars uh, a Well glowing you can blame review. Harry Man Harry slash Flamey Winehouse I just want to say it was a glowing okay. it was a glowing review and we he had a great time because I chatted with them afterwards and we've had lots of other four and five stars but it's so funny the way the star system works and it is it's so completely it's like it's so oh subjective God, yeah, yeah absolutely and then as a as a producer and promoter you go oh great review
2: but if it's not four stars or more you don't you don't share it mm. the interesting thing is I think the there are shows out there which probably are one star and two star shows. I love a one star show. <laughs> I, love, I love.
0: I love a one star. I love getting a one star review or a five or a four or five.
2: <laughs> a one star review you can do something with. But you don't. You don't see so many of those because there is normally some clues that is not gonna be a great show, you know, from reading the publicity material or, you know, just reading the description, which means you actually don't go see it in the first place. There's a bit of a imbalance, I guess, in what actually, does get reviewed.
1: Yeah, now that you mention it, I haven't seen a one star review, but if I did, I'd be curious. Be like, why is it so bad?
0: Why is it so bad? Oh my God. I love I love seeing quote unquote bad stuff. Um it's it's an extreme reaction and that's what's valuable. Yeah. Like and if you know and if especially if you follow that reviewer and you're like, oh, you know, I don't actually agree with them most of the time. If they give a one-star hmm. review, you're like, excellent. Yeah. Totally. Um, sign me up. Like, you know, if the Daily Telegraph gave me a one-star review, I would be so proud.
1: Have either of you seen Betty Grumble's show yes. yet? Yes. Sex Clown Saves the World. So I thought that was infallible. I couldn't flaunt, like the show. There was nothing wrong with it. But three elderly people on the other side of the room walked out. Mm-hmm. They would have been giving it one star, but it's five for me. So,
0: How great is that show? Yeah. So yeah, Ready Grumble is incredible. If this if this podcast makes it
2: to the air before before the end of her season, please go check it out. You must. In previous years of Fringe World, I think this is, are we on the seventh Fringe World now Fifth. here in Perth? Fifth, I think it's more. Is it? Yeah, it might be six. I think it's six or seven. Six or seven. Fez from Briefs the
0: other night were saying this is our sixth or seventh year. Yeah, yeah. coming
2: every year.
1: Yeah, so this it's. he said fourth year.
2: I think they've brought the full show or the current show. They've brought four the times, times, but they've been within a previous show Ah. prior to that. In some of the previous years, they have um, secret judges who go around and watch shows for the awards. And in previous years, I've been a secret judge. I'm the worst secret judge in the world because I tell everybody. (laughs) Um, They're like, why do I see you at so many shows? Because I'm a secret judge. Uh, (laughs) But when I was doing the judging, that's where I had to go see some shows, which would definitely Ah. be one star.
1: So you, you get given a category and you have to see everything, yeah? Not possible to
2: see. You can't everything. see every You get sent um, about 20 shows to go see. Okay. And it takes you to Joondalup and um, down mm. to Mandra and all sorts of places to see shows. But it's worth doing because
0: otherwise, you know, when we talk about this at the end of the show, and, um, and I love these are the big shows, we call them the Apex Predators. They're incredible and they're, you know, produced by. Um, dear friends of ours and, and artists we've worked with and all that sort of stuff. But those big shows, if you just see the big show, you're not really experiencing fringe. Mm. You've got to you've got to take the time and take the risk on the little shows, the weird shows, the one star review shows, the shows in the There's June, something great about, that, about right? just June going down and
2: uh, <laughs> you know seeing what's on in the next ten minutes and yes. still has tickets available. Yeah. And can Dive you make it to in. the place in time? Yeah. You know, I think you get to see some wonderful things. Last year I um went in the wrong room. I was going off to review a show. And uh, it started, and I went, where are the puppets? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and great. I had taken a left turn instead of a right turn. Wow. <laughs> and was seeing some comedians instead. Did you, did you follow it through? Did you watch the I did, show? and this is the reason why. I put some thought into it because I was like, no, I'm clearly in the wrong room. This is a comedian. But it was a very long, skinny room, and there was a big spotlight at the back of the room <laughs> that was shining on the person performing and I realised if I stood up to walk out I would cast a large shadow across the entire room I would have to walk right up to the person performing and be you know about six inches away from their face to walk Right, and walk through the door to leave. So you did it then? No, um, I thought no. There's some comedians who are going to win a review tonight. that <laughs> wasn't going to happen. Oh, great! That's so. how you reviewed that one instead. I did. They were a little bit homophobic, so you know, it didn't work out for them. But <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: now, now the world knows. Yeah. Now the world knows about That's that important. homophobic stand-up comedian, <laughs> that Tom Ballard,
2: that
0: <laughs> sucked in Ballard.
2: <laughs> there, there is a, a proliferation of gay comedians. Suddenly. In Australia? Oh, okay. Everywhere. You know, for a
0: few few years, I thought that it was just anyone that dated Josh Thomas ended Ooh. up just going on the comedy show. <laughs> because for a while, it was that. And then I realized that oh, it's actually not... Um, I, I don't actually Close. know Josh at all, but I know some, <laughs> several people that have dated him. So I should probably watch my mouth. Well, we know Josh quite well, so we can pass these comments on. <laughs> but for a couple, for a, it felt like for a little while, it was that. And it's the Josh effect. And it's extraordinary. It's really great to
2: see. Joel Creasy is the most interviewed person ever in Out in Perth magazine mm-hmm. in our 15 years of existence. Is he from here? Is that why? It is, I think, partly because he's from here. Yeah.
1: I feel like Fez from Breeze would be catching up, right?
2: Oh, no, Fez, I think, is five. Josh, Josh is up on, like, 15 interviews oh, now. Okay. So, and he's uh, closely followed by Tina Arena. Oh, um, and Is she also from, She's not from here, though. She's not from here. No, no. She's,
0: from, she's from Melbourne. Sorrenta she just loves an interview. Yeah. She just <laughs> loves the gays. And the gays love her. Come on. Yeah. I once opened and closed a DJ set on the last night of Melbourne Fringe with Tina Arena's Chains. And let me tell you, you haven't seen anything until you've seen
2: 400 sweaty fringe artists belting out <laughs> chains. Well, we pointed out to um, Joel recently that... Uh, Tina's taken us out to parties before and, you know, cocktail parties and taken us to lunches. Where the best Joel's ever done is buy us a beer at the end of one of his gigs. So. Have
1: we got a signed uh, copy yeah. of our own magazine?
2: He has signed our magazine, yeah. Word Thanks, cheap, Joel. One of our uh, staff had a bit of a Joel crush. Uh, It's not me. He went down to see Joel's show, so we just texted Joel and told him about that before. That's great. That was evil. He's a dashing fellow. He's (laughs) a dashing fellow. Um, But yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's great to see
0: more uh, queer comedians. And I mean, the ladies represent like nothing else. Mm -hmm. So many wonderful um, queer lady comics out there these days. I'm
1: seeing Hannah tonight.
0: Oh,
2: she's amazing.
1: Yes, so pumped.
2: So good. She's about seven interviews in now, I think.
1: Oh, we should make a table. (laughs) We should have a table.
2: It should be like a competition. Perfect.
0: Perfect. I know know Tom Ballard's coming out. Tom is actually a mate. Yeah. um, And he is uh, very funny with a big heart and he's doing really good political stuff these days,
2: which is great. There's something challenging journalistically of interviewing someone a second time. And certainly more challenging interviewing someone a fifth time. I know you've got to do some research, right? I, the interesting <laughs> thing is when you talk to someone, you know, the first time, you can talk to them about their entire life. When you talk to them the second time, you can talk to them about what they did since the last time you talked to them. Which is probably a year ago because it's fringe time, right? Mm. Yeah, you know, certainly with fringe artists. So it's you take it on board as a challenge, mm. I think.
1: Yeah, I um, had to speak to, had to, enjoyed speaking with Panty Bliss. Twice within the space of six months, mm. and the first time I got to speak to her about uh, the documentary had just come out the the speech itself the the speech that went viral, everything and it was great and then I had to call her the other day, and I didn't want to recap anything, and I just totally fumbled <laughs> she's got a show she's got a stage show coming to the Yasta and we got to talk about that, and it was great but when you're actively trying not to talk about something, you just run into a wall, I learned.
0: See, if you want to be in the public eye, you've just got to have new angles all the time. Yeah. You've got to come up with
2: new stuff. Complete you know? reinvention is the secret. Yeah, 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 yeah. My brand's all over the shop. It's really great. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us what brings you here to Fringe World. What? Why are you in town? What are you all about?
0: Uh, this time around, and this is exciting, uh, we... Did a show. It's called Uta Uber which um, is so hard to Google. But uh, it's a rock and roll after party set in an actual hotel room. And that is the performance work. Uh, It's a a show that I co-created with my best friend in the world, Georgina Symes. She's Uta. Uta is this faded diva, uh, totally burnt out, uh, desperately clawing her way back to fame. And I play George, her manager slash assistant slash (laughs) enabler.
2: How do you go about creating a hotel room?
0: Exactly. Well, usually we do the show in a, in an actual hotel. So we, you know, convince we convince some poor hotel to let us live there for a month and do the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time around, though, um, the lovely people at Aloft Hotels who are building. A hotel here in Perth. It's the first time the hotel's come to Australia. I think they are, they were wanting to build a version of their room in the pleasure garden to kind of show it off to people because um, that's like the loft is like the little sister brand of W Hotels, you know, that oh, global, you know, celebrities by the pool uh, hotel brand, which is fabulous. So they so they built this gorgeous hotel room in the middle of um, the pleasure garden. If anyone's listening who's been there, it's that big pink box in the middle of the pleasure garden. And they were like, oh, it'd be great to see this activated uh, somehow. And the lovely people at Fringe World, because we were here in 2013 and we had a great season. They went, oh, we've got the perfect show. And
2: so they called us and went, do you want to come back to Perth? And we went, absolutely. Do you know when, they, when they build new hotels, <laughs> they build mock-ups of a room and get people to stay in them. So they, you know, don't accidentally build, you know, 500 rooms where the bathroom door hits the wardrobe. And they, they have little, like trial rooms. Well, that's exactly what this is, except it's in the middle of the pleasure garden. (laughs) And you're trialling having a party in it. And we're trialling having a party in it. What better stress test? The bed hasn't broken yet, that's all I'm saying. (laughs) When you stay in a real hotel... And you do this show in a real hotel. Do you actually stay in the room that you have for the performance? Is this a way of like just cutting your costs?
0: This show is such a piece of genius. genius, I have to yep. say, for, as, <laughs> as, as as the creator. Uh, we do. We live in the room. We live in the room. So uh, we, it's a it's a one stop venue accommodation, you know, office. It's everything. It gets a
2: little bit gross after a while. <laughs> There's a real trick if you're trying to create a show which is going to be for fringe festivals, because it's got to be you know low number of cast members. It's got to be transportable. You know, you can't be in some strange city going, you know, where do I find a hot air balloon? There's a certain criteria you need to make it movable mm. and work in different places. Yeah.
0: I mean, we got. I mean, I'd like to say we got really lucky with this show, but it's it's down to the genius of Georgina Symes, who plays Uta. The show, that's, I mean, she is the show. Um, but we've been very fortunate. We premiered it in Melbourne Fringe in 2011. <laughs> and Adelaide Fringe gave us the touring award and took us there and we did two Fringe Adelaides back-to-back and she was just the absolute star of that, f- the first Fringe we went to and won more awards and then that got us here in Brisbane and we've done Brisbane, Sydney, two Adelaides, Perth, Melbourne, now back to Perth again. It's great. We have so much
2: fun doing this show. Have you ever stayed in a, a, a famous person hotel? A famous a, person A celebrity-filled hotel, celebrity hotel.
0: hotel? Ooh, uh, yes, when I was, gosh, I was I was only young. Um, this is this is maybe not the way to open the story, but Michael Jackson was staying in the <laughs> same hotel as Michael Jackson in That's Las Vegas. Exciting. Yes, when I was when I was 16 years old, and I remember my brother and I were in the foyer, and he just walked through, and we just, I just, I found myself running after him. I was just, I went, oh my god, I just had to get closer and closer and try and get a photo or something like that.
2: That's there's something which happens sometimes when you meet people of celebrity or a certain mm-hmm. level of fame where you get sucked into that, you know, it's someone really famous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not a star ever. Can I swear on this podcast? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bleep it out if you need to. Um, and the funny, I mean, this show is about celebrity. Udo is a celebrity and it's and it's a look at celebrity culture and fame and, and digging a bit beneath that. But um, uh, the only celebrity I've really um, thought about what I would do
2: if I ever met... Uh, is Beyonce. Mm. What would you do if you met Beyonce? I would, cry. <laughs> I would cry. Do you know I, I met Celine Dion. Whoa. Um, Whoa. and a weird thing happened. She was. This is um back when she was seeing Beauty and the Beast, so pre Titanic, and she was here in Perth for Telethon. We met backstage, and I said it's very nice to meet you, and then words came out of my mouth that <laughs> I, my brain had no control over. Mm-hmm. I said I love your music. That's not even slightly true. I was even really that remotely familiar with her music. I've always thought about this thinking if you're, you know, that kind of mega celebrity, there's probably people come up to you all the time going, nice to meet you, I love your music, who Mm. really don't. (laughs) And, you know, you take that book. everybody loves my music. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, I guess that, that, the, the alternative is just eternal self-doubt. So it's probably great. You just accept it with gratitude. You know what I mean? I stayed at the uh, the Ace Hotel in
2: New York, which great is a very hotel. hipster hotel. Yes, yes, yes. I've, um, I've, Where I've shot a film there once.
0: That's another story.
2: It's got a little uh, <laughs> MTV hanging out in the lobby. And, um, and it's a hotel that has a velvet rope out the front for people who want to come in and just hang out in the lobby, which I found... Bizarre! How cool is this place that people just want to stand around? It's very cool. It's a very hip hotel. Yeah. It's uh,
1: kind of sounds dumb. <laughs> Are you for real? It's very. It's very
2: aware. It, it's very aware of itself.
1: Okay. It's, it's uh, very hope. One hopes anyway.
2: It's very hipster. Yeah. Um, in each room is decorated differently,
1: uh-huh.
2: um, and you might find in your room there might be a DJ console or a guitar or. And instead of you know how like you open up the drawer and there's writing paper,
1: or um, a holy bible.
2: Or a holy Bible there is uh, sheet music in case you want to write a tune okay yeah, yeah it's like
0: some it's it's like something you have a Nashville episode <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's amazing I mean I love I love hotels that's kind of where the idea for us to do the show in a hotel came from is that they are portals they're, they're portals for you know you can be whoever you want to be in a hotel room and you know you can you can you know bring your boyfriend back to room and his boyfriend if you want to and <laughs> you know it's great that the sort of permission that people give themselves to be something else in a hotel room is
2: really exciting.
1: That's true. The only time I ever stayed in a hotel room is when I go to Mardi Gras. So, yeah, I'd have to agree. See, absolutely.
2: (laughs) And what is your decision-making process for choosing your hotel at Mardi Gras? Is there a room available? The cheapest. (laughs) (laughs) I I have an unusual um, journey in life through hotel rooms because my partner works in the hospitality industry and is quite obsessed with different hotels. Mm. And whenever we go to a city we will often stay in two or three hotels in the same place so we can experience different hotels. So we might move several times, mm-hmm. spend a week in London in two different hotels. It's great. Does it, does it like a mix of boutique and old-fashioned classic
0: ones or is it all like hip, modern boutique-y ones?
2: Uh, no, we've stayed in some, uh, some hipster hotels. Yep. We've stayed in some budget hotels mm-hmm. and we've stayed in some really, really, really nice hotels because we know people who work in the industry and get really good rates. It's very important. Yeah. They're the friends you keep. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you uh, for coming in, Nick, and having a chat to us about wild and crazy things. Oh, thank
0: you so much for having me.
1: When does Uda Uburkuya end?
0: Uh, Uda's only got one week to go, so this in this podcast world, it might have already been finished by then. We're going to turn this around really fast. Oh, okay, uh, I, I, that's I our promise. It's it, it's uh, it's basically sold out anyway. So, aha. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> but we might be back with it again. Who knows? Uh, but Perth Fringe, I and I have to say this truly is one of the best fringe festivals in the country easily uh, and, you know, it's up there around the world and I've been to quite a few.
2: Thanks for listening to Solo You can find this podcast on the Out in Perth webpage. You can download it from iTunes or find us on SoundCloud as well. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave messages on all those things or you can always email us at outinperth at editor at outinperth.com. We love your feedback, even if you don't like what we've been talking about. Thank you very much, Nick, for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. And we'll see you all next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.